battle for supremacy. Today is uh, parents and kids, and some people would say the battle for supremacy pretty much describes my home. Um, when we're dealing with our kids, um, it can be a very challenging uh, operation. It, it's very interesting to me, again, as we are, we've been, we talked about marriage the last few weeks, and we're going to get into parents and kids today. The sovereignty and wisdom of God it just is amazing to me. Um, just as we talked about marriage, how you take these different people that see the world differently, they're wired differently, uh, man and woman, and you say, we're going to they're going to become husband and wife, and we're going to unite their lives. And it's these two broken people that are going to do life together. Then we're going to give them little human beings to take care of. Isn't that amazing? I mean, either either it's insanity or it's brilliance. And I'm going to say since God came over this, it's brilliant. Because he set it up in such a way that we would cry out to Him. And, and He reminds us every day through our relationships how much we need Him. And so today we're going to be in, uh, we're going to continue in chapter 3 in Colossians, specifically verses 20 through 21. Um, again, Paul has been talking about what it means to live a godly life and the way this uh, book rolls out. Again, we're going to go to the key passage. Let's go ahead and go to that. This is Colossians 1. He laid the foundation of where He's going how to live a godly life, how to, uh, how to have a married, happy married life, how to have a happy family. Um, what does all that mean? It begins here in Colossians 1, when Paul is coming out of the gate writing this letter. He said, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created in this supreme. The word supreme, again, first preeminent ruler. He's the ultimate authority over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. That means marriage and family, too. He created it. It was his idea. He was the designer. His idea. He made the things we can, can see and the things we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything and I put marriage and family was created through him and for him. Next slide. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. He must be first in everything. Again, he begins at this place. Paul is saying, the other stuff will not make sense unless you make Christ first. Christ must be the center of your life. He must be the head, the chief, the ultimate authority and ruler in your life. Christianity cannot be understood unless we unconditionally surrender to Jesus. And Paul says, everything else, none of this stuff will make sense. You will be trying to you will work and work and work and work to no avail. It will be a frustrating work if you don't get this figured out. Even when you get this figured out, it's hard, isn't it? Marriage, family, living a godly life is very difficult even when you have Christ. And that, the, the, the reminder is we need Him every day. Because we, we get the end of it. For God and all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through Him God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with us in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So he must be first. He must be first individually first. And that enables me to be a godly husband. That enables us to be godly parents. He must be first in my heart individually. And so this institution of family was God's idea. Again, we go back to Genesis. God said it's not good for man to be alone. 
And so he gives him a suitable helper. He gives him Eve. And he says, man and woman, uh, you know, he takes the, takes the rib out of man. He creates woman. And he says, the two shall become one flesh. They will be unified spirit, body, soul. And then as, as they are married, now you have the first wedding ceremony. And God performs the first wedding ceremony. His design, his creation, God thought of marriage. He designed it. So the design is still good. And so then he tells them one of the commands. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Everybody knows what we're talking about there. He's, he's saying, I want you to have godly offspring. I want you to have children. And so this institution of marriage becomes family and God's idea. Be fruitful, multiply. And then what does God say? This command of stewardship. Manage it. Manage what I've given you. Manage the marriage. Manage the children. Manage the garden. Next week we're going to get into um, our work and, 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 and our spirit influence. And, and we'll talk about that next week. But he said, everything I've given you, command is this. Manage it. Knowing that I'm the owner. God is the owner. We are the manager. And so, be fruitful. Multiply. And I love this idea of what it means to, as a man of God, is to put this stake in the ground. Joshua 24, we'll go to the next screen. At the end of his life, and you've heard me quote this passage uh, again, but this is, this is kind of Joshua saying, I'm going to live as it, that God is first in all things. And so he's getting to the end of his, 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 his days on the earth, and he makes this declaration to the people. He's kind of he's brought them together, and he's saying, "Who are you going to serve? If it's the if it's the false gods of the uh, you know of, of, of the people that are surrounding us, then do that." He said, "But if it's God, let it be God." And then what does he say? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, God will be first. As for me and my marriage, God will be first. As for me and my children, God will be first. And he puts the stake in the ground, and he says, "Whatever happens." God will be first in our home, in our lives. And so, and so must we. And this idea that Paul is talking about in Colossians 1 that leads to Colossians 3 about marriage and family. He's saying, put parents, put a stake in the ground. Husband and wife, put a stake in the ground. Ask for me and my house. Christ will be supreme. Christ will be first. He will be preeminent. And we're going to declare that we need Him every day because that's what it means. It's not just a one-time stake. It's every day. It's every day. So we surrender to you. We give you our hearts. And so the, the passage of today is two verses from Colossians 3. It says, Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter, or, or other translations say, exasperate or frustrate your children, or they will become discouraged. And that's kind of the only thing that Paul talks about in Colossians. And so actually I'm going to jump to Ephesians where he digs a little deeper in this idea. So we're, we're going to actually look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, because he told the church at Ephesus, they have the same thing he tells the church in Colossae. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you. And that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. <laughs> Kids, you better honor me. So it will go well with you and your days will be long. You know, um, I quote that all the time. Um, 
fathers do not exasperate your children and said, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And I love, and I, that was a joke, by the way. I'm joking to throw that word scripture around in my house. But, uh, but it gets into what fathers should be doing, fathers and mothers. And since Psalm 173, as we're kind of getting into the meat of today, children are a gift from the Lord, aren't they? Children are a gift from the Lord. Sometimes you need to remind yourself of that, parents. They're a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. And so we get, we get into this idea of parents and kids today. Let's open our hearts. Again, this is going to be challenging. Um, it challenges me, so I'm trying to get to challenge you. Um, so I don't have to just share the conviction, so I get to put it a little bit on you. Uh, but that God is a merciful God. That's why this whole thing, again, as I said before, he takes two broken human beings, he gives them these little human beings to take care of. And I don't know about you, but isn't that one of the most overwhelming things when parents you understand when you have that first child? It's something about the first one that this wave, this tsunami wave of responsibility is coming at you. I'm just sharing my own story. It happened. It was the night before I, 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 I was going to marry Athena, it happened. It's just like, oh, all of a sudden, it's not about just me anymore. And then I remember holding Taylor. And, and it happened with Victoria when we got Judah. It, it all happens with just something about because you don't have anything to compare to that first one. And I remember holding him and thinking, you know, it's mine. And God, you've given him to me. And, oh, no, what do I do? You know, I, 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 I'm not sure what to do, and, and, and I mean, it's scary, and, and some people have great fear. There is, you know, a lot of things, a lot of emotions. You're excited, and you're scared to death at the same time, and there's this little human being that God is saying, okay, you take care of him. He's from me. He's a gift from me. I've given him to you. Now you take care of him. Oh, no. Because it's intended for us to say, oh, no. All of Paul's writings are intended for us to say, oh no, God, I can't do it without you. And, and, and I think that God is saying, that's the point. That's, that's the whole point of this. And I've shared this before, you know, when you read what Paul says to do, how to live a godly life, love is patient, love is kind. You know, the first thing in 13. And you just feel overwhelmed by the time you finish reading that chapter. And you're in, it's intended for you to feel overwhelmed because it's like, God, without you, there's no way I could love that guy. And he said, now you've got it. Now, now you're on the right step toward really learning how to love because you can't do it without me. That's the whole idea. And marriage and parenting, we cannot do it without him. He entrusts these little human beings. And, you know, the first time you're trying, you're afraid you're going to break them and I'm trying to change the diaper, and you know, you always have that rough nerve. And you're not going to hurt them. I'm like, leave them alone. You know, you're going to hurt them. You know, you're just scared to death. You know, you're like, you know, I'm, I'm, what do I do? And it's amazing. It's a, it's a, it's a load of feelings and emotions. But firstly, what Paul talks about is children obeying and honoring their parents in the Lord for this is right. Most of our kids are upstairs. I don't get this, but. Uh, you know, even as adults, we can still honor our parents. Um, the, the, the idea of honor doesn't just stop when you become an adult. 
And Paul said this is the first commandment of the promise going back to the Ten Commandments. He said, remember the Ten Commandments. And so he's telling the, the church in, you know, in, in, in Ephesus, he says, you know, there was the Ten Commandments. That was the first one that had a promise attached to it. If you honor your parents, it, it'll go well with you. And you'll have long days on the earth outside of your mom and dad killing you. You know, <laughs> not what he's talking about, but, well, maybe back then it was. You know, because if you disobey, if you were rebellious to your parents, it, it, it was even it way worse than time out, I can tell you. It was like a permanent time out, actually. So. But it, that it would go well with you on the earth. And, and, and this can only happen again with the foundation that Christ is supreme in my life, Lord of my life. Because isn't it hard just to honor some people do it more naturally than others, but honor can be a very difficult thing, especially when we feel like someone's not worthy of our honor. But all Christ-centered relationships are counterculture. When you do it the way Jesus wants you to do it, it is counterculture because in our world, it's me-centered. How does this benefit me? What's in it for me? How is this decision in my life going to affect me one way or the other? And so it's me-centered. Christ-centered relationships, it is Christ-centered and agape, self-sacrificial love, and so I lay down my life for others. Christ being first, that I lay my life down for Him. And so it goes back to this foundation of supremacy. Jesus is first in my life, Therefore, I can love my wife like Christ loves her. Jesus is first in my life, so I can, wives, submit to my husband as unto the Lord. Jesus is first in my life, so I can honor my mother and my father, even when it's difficult. And I think outside of even the honoring of our parents, we need a revival of, culture, of the culture of honor in our own as the church. This idea of honor, I mean, we could do a whole series on honor, what it means to honor and to revere and to give value to. Because the worldly way of honor is to honor those we deem who have earned our honor, right? You earn my honor, I will honor you. If I like you, I will honor you. If I agree with you, I will honor you. If you honor me first, I'll honor you back. That's worldly kind of mindset of honor. To honor means to highly esteem or give great value to. And so children, even adults, uh, adult, one of the greatest gifts that we can give our parents is to honor them. Honor their position as parents. Honor the standards that they have placed in the home. And here's the thing. I know this is going to shock a lot of people. Parents aren't perfect. And a gas, you know, it's like, really, whoa. Remember when you were little and you thought your parents were perfect and the day that you found out they weren't? That's a devastating day. You know, it's like you watch your parents make a mistake. You know, whoa, they're not perfect after all. And that, because of that, honor is hard sometimes. But honor is a choice. And so we have to sometimes find ways to honor them even when they are not honorable. Now, on a side note, honor does not mean that you submit yourself to abuse. There is nothing in Scripture that would ever 
indicate the idea that we would have to submit ourselves to abusive behavior. That's not what I'm talking about. It's never okay. But sometimes, even when our parents have made mistakes, even when they are broken, you honor the position that they have in your life as parents. It's like in the military, when you, you know, as an enlisted person, you know, we saluted um, officers. And it, that, 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 that act of saluting is to honor the rank. Whether, you, you may not even know that person, but you honor the rank that they have earned and achieved. And so you don't, you're not saluting the person, you are saluting the rank. And sometimes, we, you know, as kids, you know, and especially if you were raised in a broken environment and you had a hard time with parents, and some people have very hard stories, and so the idea of thinking about our parents doesn't conjure up fluffy feelings. It conjures up some very hard feelings. But with the Lord's help, with, with, with Jesus as supreme, He enables us and empowers us. He gives us the power to be able to honor. And sometimes honor is in the... Uh, honor can be manifested through forgiving them for blowing them. And not holding on to the grudge, not holding on to the hurt, not living in bitterness is to say, I forgive them for the hurt because they weren't perfect and neither are we. So we honor them and we honor their position as parents. And so as a part of being raised in a home, you know, how do we honor and listen to them? They have life experience that you don't have. There was a uh, thing rolling around on Facebook some time ago, and I think that some people have, have hard copies of this. Young people hard copies of this paper and stuff for writing on it. Just to let you guys know, um, hard copy. Everything's moving electronically. Um, but it says, you know, when you're five years old, your parent is your hero. You guys know that one, and then it kind of goes through, and then like when you're 18, your parents don't know anything, and they're just dumb, and, and then you get to when, you know, and it kind of has all of this, and, and, and then you're, you're 30, and all of a sudden mom and dad are not so dumb after all. And when you become parents, mom and dad are, they were really smart. And then it hits like 70, and you go, I really wish I had time with my mom and dad on It's a beautiful little thing. Of, but it's very hard in that, you know, Jeff Allen says he doesn't know how old the devil was when he rebelled against God, but he thinks he was between 15 and 18 or something like that. Um, it's probably about right. But sometimes listening to them, they have life experience that you don't have. And that's even a way when we're adult kids, you know, our parents who have gone and they've, they've gone down the path a little farther, sometimes it's so good to, 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 to learn from them, glean from them, to life to to listen to them, honor them, don't resent them. Because of Jesus, honor your parents. All right, that's all the kids thing. Now I'm going to get into fathers and mainly parents. It says, Father, do not exasperate, frustrate, and bitter your children instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Interesting note here that uh, Paul would specifically speak to fathers. 
nowadays what we can do in context of this passage, we can say parents and some some of the like the message Bible, you know, parents and they, you know, it says parents, but he specifically speaks to fathers. And and, and the, the, the interesting about this is children like women were somewhat treated like property. And so this command was given to fathers. Moms were the primary caregiver of that time, and somewhat today they are. Um, but 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 dads were really not that involved in their kids' lives back then. And so dads were kind of you know they they, they were you know they, they they had things to do and they were kind of taskmasters. And they would come in and they would just kind of here's the deal here's how the home should be run and then we'd be gone for periods of time and. And mom was the primary caregiver. And so Paul is kind of saying, just like when Paul said, husbands love their wives like Christ loved the church, which was a, a, pretty, a pretty interesting teaching because wives were seen like property. Sorry, ladies, I'm glad that that's changed. But Paul is saying, hey, in the kingdom of God, it should not be that way. Husbands, love your wives like Christ Value her that much that you would lay your life on and let Christ be your model. And so it was... Very counterculture teaching that Paul is giving. And so now he's saying, now, fathers, don't embitter your kids. Don't frustrate your kids. In other words, don't just be a taskmaster just coming in and then they see you as kind of the house dictator. Love your kids. Train them. They're not your property. They're gifts from God. And so it was easy for dads to kind of frustrate or embitter their kids. And he says, Dad, I want you to be involved in the training of your children. And, I, and, and, and again, we can say parents nowadays because I, it has changed. I mean, dads can still embitter their kids, but so can moms. And so for the sake of this, we're going to say parents. Parents, don't embitter your children, but train them in the ways of God. How do we embitter or frustrate our kids? We're going to look at a few of these. I'm going to go through these very quickly. And this is intended to challenge you, but not to condemn you, but to guard your heart on these things. Number one is making promises that you don't keep. I've been guilty. Even throwing around the word that maybe we'll do this, and I, and I, and I used to think that the word maybe would like eliminate the promise part. When you say maybe, you know the kid here? We're doing it. And now I'm learning that with Judah. He's like, can you do this? I'm like, I don't want to make a promise. You know? And I'm like, well, maybe we'll do it later. See it? You know, because we want what he says, is, we'll do it later. That's what he hears. So we've got to be very careful that we don't make promises that we cannot keep. Number two. Is this still on? Hello. Found a little echo there. Focusing on the negative only and not the positive. It's very easy in certain seasons when you are running after your kid and it seems like that they're only getting into things because we're detained. It's like when the kids are crawling and then they go to pulling themselves up and it's a whole new world of things to grab and things to touch. Because ultimately what we are thinking is this, you know, that, yes, this might be a trivial thing now, but when they get up to a stove, it's not so trivial anymore. It can be very dangerous. And so there's these seasons where it seems like you're running out of you. No, no, don't do that. No, 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 no. 
God agrees. Um, but we can focus on the negative, but don't do that. What do they do well? Recognize that. Recognize what they do well. Number three, ways that we can embitter or frustrate our kids and give them boundaries. If you want to frustrate your kids, they long for boundaries. I know that some people, you know, that, that, that just seems almost like, well, they kick against it. Yes, they do, but they want to know if you really know what you're talking about. We're, we're, we're in the adoption process again. We took a, we had to take a, another class. It's a 10-hour online class for teaching. I tell you, now that we should man, we should pay attention the first time that we took that class. But it's so valuable now that we have Judah home and he's four, five tomorrow. Little Judah will be in five tomorrow. So we're excited about that. Um, but some stuff that was just so enlightening and, and such a revelation of that, that kids want to know that, they, that, that, that you're a confident and competent leader. And they need boundaries. They need boundaries to feel safe and secure. There was a study one time done, and they showed this picture. It was a sociology study about the kids and boundaries, and there was a playground, and there was a big field out here within. There was a road that kind of went around, and there was, there was no place so the kids can stay at the playground. Well, at some point, because of safety, they put a fence up. Well, then they showed an after picture, and the kids were all out in the grassy area and not just the playground. Because of the there was something safe and secure that says now we can venture out a little further because actually the border and the boundary created greater freedom. Kids need boundaries. They belong for it. They need it. Number four, have unrealistic expectations that they can never meet. It's okay to have expectations for your kids, but there's nothing more frustrating than they can never get there. They can never measure up. They can never. Should I go to a cord mic or? Oh, okay. All right. Number five. Um, another way to approach this show partiality or favoritism: treating other children different. Even when you have the one that's the good one, please don't say that in front of the kids. Okay. They're all unique. They're wired. They have different giftings and callings, and, and 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 they're going to react differently. You know, in our home, you know, our, our oldest Taylor, he was more of a leader, and so he would debate us all the time about stuff. And we had to learn, you know, that it's not that he's the bad one and Tori's the good one. You know, growing up. Um, he was challenging, but there was something that God was putting in him, and we had to figure out and he made a lot of good learning that. And Tori was the more compliant one. She was the good one. So. Um, sorry, I just had to throw that out there. Um, now we have Judah, who's kind of a little bit of leader, a little bit of, man, we're trying to learn his personality, and, and so it, it's all fun and challenging in the name of Jesus. But don't show partiality for just six. Be inconsistent in your enforcing rules and, and exercise of discipline. That will frustrate your kid. 
if it was no, if that was no today, don't let it be yes tomorrow, unless, you know, it's something that they can learn to grow into, you know what I'm saying. It's, 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 it's confusing, and, and what you are putting on them, the expectation, even of discipline and those kind of things, let it be consistent. Where you have failed, repent and ask the Lord to pray. But if you are inconsistent in forcing rules, you are going to be creating greater problems for yourself. Number seven, repenting them is a way to embitter them. And again, there are hard seasons. I'll get that. Parents, we know that there are those difficult seasons. You know, there's the challenging years, there's the peaceful years, and we long for those peaceful years. But when you're in the middle of the challenge, let your let your chant be this peaceful pass. Because it's not forever. But don't resent them because it's easy to you know to make it very personal. Number eight, another way is ignoring them. Ignoring them completely, just neglecting, you know, it's just easy to just to kind of check out and cut away from them. And it's in those difficult seasons they need us more than ever to be engaged and to be present and to be there. Number nine is being reactive instead of proactive. We're always. Oh, I'll keep you awake. Um, but a lot of times, we, you know, when, when we're dealing with things, we're, we're more reactive than proactive. And this is a challenge for me. And this, this, one, this one is I have to repent of a lot. It seems like that you are dealing with them as opposed to being proactive and maybe trying to stay a step ahead of them. That's very difficult. It takes a lot of creativity and a lot of prayer. But being proactive in their life instead of reactive. And then number 10 is probably one of the biggest things that is hypocrisy. Do they see you saying one thing and then living something different? We all deal with hypocrisy. All of us are guilty of it. It's against our response to the Lord in those things. Guard against them, repent them. If you've done them, ask the Lord for strength. His mercy is for you today. Don't let this be a condemning thing. So here's the thing. Parents lead the way. We lead the way. We are commanded to not only not frustrate our kids, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That was the second part of the command, to train them in the, in the ways of God, to make your home Christ-centered. And we're actually going to talk about that next week. So will you stand and spend more time Part two next week, kids. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for loving us so much. Lord, I pray, God, today for every parent, Lord, even, um, God, as, as adults, for children, too. But, Lord, I pray today that you would touch our hearts. And, Lord, if there are ways that even you want to heal relationships, oh, God, between parents and their children, I pray, God, that you would begin to work. Malachi says that in the end of days, and it talks about kind of this prophetic picture of, of John the Baptist, that there would be a move of God of the day, that, that the hearts of the fathers would be turned to their children, the children to the fathers. Not to make up that would begin to happen in our midst. Lord, that as parents, God, we would turn our hearts towards our children. Lord, forgive us for how we have embittered them, frustrated them, 
God, we pray for your mercy and your grace. I pray, God, that there will be no condemnation today. God, that, that we would grab hold of the promise that your mercies are new every morning. We are imperfect and we confess that we are imperfect and we make mistakes. But Lord, I pray that you would begin to heal relationships and help us as parents to love, to train, to teach our children to love you. And Lord, I pray, God, as children, God, that we would honor our parents. Lord, where we have lacked honor, forgive us. God, help us to make that right. Lord, if there are practical things that we can begin to do, show them to us how we can honor and bring a culture of honor. Lord, not only just parents and children, and children to their parents, but Lord, I pray for a culture of honor that we would begin to honor each other. Lord, that we would highly esteem, highly value one another. But Lord, let there be a revival in our homes that begins with us. God, that we would put you first, that we would make you supreme, that we would say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will make Jesus the center of our lives every single day. Lord, we love you. We honor you, God. We pray for this day. We pray, God, for the family fun night tonight, God. We pray. Lord, that it would just it, it would be a blessing to us as well as our community, God, as we go out and we serve, we give our hearts and we give the love of Jesus to our community, God. Let we want we want you to be seen. Lord, we love you, we honor you, it's in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome day. Hopefully, see you this evening um, out at our family fun night.